God made us in his image, right? We make technology in our image and it reflects our beliefs and, and our worldview. And, and they can't help but shape the society. Um, and so we, wow. we, we want our decisions to be guided by the light of faith, right? And always oriented towards the true, the good and the beautiful. Well, here we are. This is Jack, here's Jimmy. And Ryan, we're back for A Reason for Hope Candid, and we're very, very excited today to have uh, two Catholic entrepreneurs, two gentlemen in the Catholic sphere, in the Catholic technology sphere, and um, we have with us today Kailash Duraiswamy and Michael DiStefano. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Um and uh, so I guess a little bit of background on you guys, um, you know, from, from, from your, both your sort of, your bio, your uh, joint bio, um, you're both converts to Catholicism, which I, I'd love to get into um, and learn about a little more. But you saw a major problem, I think, when you converted, right? You, you saw that Christians around the world feel hesitated and angst around technology, and they're often forced to use technology created by those who do not share their Christian values. And so you've, um, to my understanding, you've created an email platform called Fide Email, or Fide, um, and it's set out to help Christians navigate the internet intentionally by providing value-aligned software products. Uh, most fundamentally, Fide Email helps Christians communicate safely online via email. So I, I guess to start, um, what is Fide Email? And I think we, we were, uh, Ryan, Jimmy, and I were discussing earlier, how is it that uh, an email service can, can be Catholic? And, and why, why would it be? So just, I guess, explain Fide Email, how it came about, and, and how as Catholic entrepreneurs, you're both um, pushing this to the Catholic marketplace and to the world. Well, unfortunately, I don't know the answer to that question. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> what, what is Fide Email? I think from I think what you what you brought up is is a great question, which is how could the email be differentiated in itself? And I think from that respect, we're really not trying to give you a different way to do email. We're giving you a a product that allows you to do email in a way that you're comfortable with. Now we've used different tools and different protocols and different ideas to make it in a lot of ways we think a better experience than what you might be used to in Gmail or ProtonMail. But at its core, it is about exchanging emails with anyone. You don't have to be on Fide email. Just like if you're on Yahoo, you can email Fide. If you're on Fide, you can email anyone else. Now, what does it mean for a product or a company to have Catholic values? And for that, I would say, particularly in intellectual products like software, the values of the people building it find its way into the product no matter what. Mm. And when what it really matters in a practical way for consumers of technology is not so much just the product itself, but the alignment you have with the founders in this case and the people who actually build the business. Because what we see with corporations in Silicon Valley, which Michael and I met in San Francisco, so we really know that space really well. Mm. We see that there's a trade-off where if you do your email in Gmail, it's basically guaranteed that you're going to contribute in some way 
to Google, which contributes in some way to behaviors, ideologies, and practices which are contrary to the Catholic faith. And what what we have found is that for for people and corporations and businesses that are mission oriented, so this would be like a nonprofit or a parish or an individual who really aligns their life with the mission of going to heaven and being a member of the Catholic Church, you want to partner with people who are mission oriented. And the truth is, whether we face it or not, when you work with corporations that are contrary to our values, you're making your mission harder. So Mm. this resonates really well with parishes who sign up with us because they know in, in some degree, when they work with other providers, they make their job harder as a church. Mm. And when you work with us, you actually make your life easier. That's really what we're trying to offer you through software. But our hope and our promise is the actual features and the actual product that we give you will meet your needs, whether it's email. And we have basically a workspace product, which is comparable to Microsoft Office or Google Workspace. And we also have a forum product on top of that for people to operate as an online community outside of things like Facebook and and stuff like that. Hmm. So um, I think I I read, it was either in the press kit or uh, an article online that, and to the to what you're talking about, you're, you're creating other softwares other than just email. You have um, uh, software such as Microsoft, likened to Microsoft Office, but uh, social media as well. Kind of, um, are you are you building that? Are you in the process of building that, or is it already out? Yeah. So Kalash mentioned the forum, and one of the things that we really started to do here is we kind of we we step back first and we, and we look at the problems that exist. And then we try to apply technology to solve those problems. And certain problems might not need to be solved, right? Um, so social media was one that we looked at and we saw that you know social media leads to a lot of sort of anti-patterns, a lot of negative behaviors, um, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of promotes certain vices like pride and, and things like that, vanity um, mm-hmm. and, and obsessiveness of checking and, and sort of addiction. Um, and so we said, well, does this, does this really need to exist? Do we want to simply copy existing technologies and create like a Catholic alternative? In some cases, yes, because those technologies are not inherently bad. But with social media, I'm not saying it's inherently bad, but we, we took a step back and we said, this is really not what we want to focus on here. Um, what, what is a legitimate use case for a quote-unquote social media? And, and that's where we came up with a, a forum. And so we saw that, okay, there's these existing communities, right? There's parishes, there's dioceses. Uh, there's there's um, sort of ministries and things like that, and those those communities exist already. Mm. And so, can we accommodate them? Can we give them a tool that enables them to to share within their community, to facilitate what their community is already doing, and to further their mission? And so, that's where we came up with the form. And that's that's really what we're trying to do with all our technology. We're not just simply looking at what's out there um, and and trying to replicate it and say like we're an ethical company. Um, there's some place for that, of course, but in reality, we we want to. We, we say that, you know, if Catholics built YouTube, it wouldn't look like YouTube, right? It would look fundamentally different. Huh. And, and so that's kind of the approach to technology that we're taking here. Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. This all, and um, then you guys can get in get into this conversation Jack's too. just interviewing yeah, you guys. That's just, fine. Yeah. We're just here for, for the show. Just, yeah. These guys are just support. Um, <laughs> Emotional support. Yeah. 
friend. How are you feeling, Jack? You feeling good? You're doing good, Jack. I'm, I'm no, doing all right. Kidding. I'm doing all right. Uh, these guys are smart, and I just had a roast beef sandwich for lunch. So <laughs> it fueled you up. Yeah, it yeah. did the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this this all reminds me a lot of um, the perturbing Netflix documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma, which I'm sure you guys have seen. Um, uh, what a scary documentary. And I guess um, a, a lot of the things that you saw out in Silicon Valley when you were out there, you both were out in Silicon Valley working out there? We actually we actually met in RCIA in San Francisco while we we're both working in Silicon Valley. Wow. So you both were going through conversion at the same time, essentially? Yes. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's wow. Well, I, we'll get into that in, in a little bit because um, I definitely want to hear about your conversion stories, um, the both of you. But can you maybe enlighten us um, to what you know uh, about the nature of, of data security and privacy issues within big tech, things that you were seeing while you were working out there um, that, uh, you know, where, where are we at? right right now with that and and how bad is it um and uh maybe you can uh counter that with the with the need for safe communication um specifically over email and this forum that you're developing where are we at how bad is it with data privacy yeah the way the way i'd say it i I would reframe it a little bit and not not talk specifically about privacy a lot of these buzzwords privacy encryption security um they could lead to misleading conclusions what i would simply say is nothing in life is free Right. If you're not paying for it with United States dollars or euros, pounds, whatever, if you're not paying for it directly in a monetary sense, you're paying for it otherwise. And so these companies, if you look at their valuations, right, and they're not necessarily charging for their products, they're making money by other means. And so then you start saying, how are they making money? You follow the money and they're harvesting data. Uh, they're utilizing the data of, of you. Right. And, and they're uh, using it to show advertising or some companies are selling that data to other companies for advertising purposes. Um, and so that's kind of where we are now, mm-hmm. right? Is these business models are, are quite opaque in some ways. Um, I'd say the model itself is not necessarily opaque, but the the nature of the data that they collect, the nature of how it's used, it's not exactly transparent. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, what we're trying to do is step back and say, okay, let's, let's have a, a much more transparent and honest business practice here. You pay us money, we give you a service, right? Done. That's it. You don't have to worry about us taking your data and selling it to the highest bidder, trying to monetize through other means and things like that. And a lot of these things arose, I mean, we can get into this, we can talk about this ad nauseum, but in reality, a lot of this arose because of the business models. You might've heard the term, you know, um, just get a lot of users and, and worry about monetization later. And that's really... Um, this growth mentality is what what fueled a lot of this, that a lot of these venture-backed startups, they just sought to get as many, many users as possible, grow very, very quickly, have what's called a hockey stick graph, um, and then be able to raise their next round of funding. And then they'll figure out how to monetize later. Mm-hmm. And so you see a lot of these businesses operating at an enormous loss, uh, just getting it, ma- amassing a huge number of users. And then they're like, oh, shoot, we got to figure out how to make money uh, so that we can have our next round of funding or we can IPO or something like that. And then they start you know, making some deals and, and things and, and selling data. So one concrete example that I was just reading, lots coming out of about Twitter right now because of oh, yeah. know, the, the new regime change there and everything. <laughs> and so um, I saw a, a sort of whistleblower recently, um, and I don't doubt this at all because, like I said, Kailash and I were there and we've worked in some of these companies. Um, but he was, he was kind of explaining... Um, 
he explained the worst, the most egregious um, thing he was asked to do. And Twitter was trying to get money from a, um, a telecom provider, a, a mobile phone provider. And they, they basically, because the app's installed on all these people's phones, they can geolocate it, get GPS data. And the, 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 the phone operator kept, kept asking for more and more information. Basically, what he wanted was whenever those, those people, those users walk into a customer's store, they want to know. And which customers, uh, the competitor store and stuff like that. So I don't know, like take this with a grain of salt because it was a whistleblower, who knows. Sure. But, but this is the type of stuff that these companies can do, right? And, and that's why if they don't have a transparent business model. And it, it's tough because I think because there's no upfront transaction of money, most people kind of put this as like, eh, they don't see it. They don't truly understand the risk of giving up that personal data and, and everything you you do online so they think well if I don't I mean I'm not paying for it so right. what happens behind the scenes is kind of eh but now everyone's terrified of big tech and you, you see where it leads to it's like mm. that in the moment it seems harmless but long term I mean it it, it becomes dangerous you know yeah. and and so you need alternatives um, like Fide um, and the the reason I wanted to reframe it a little bit because, and I'll, I'll hand it over to Kyle actually because it was his point, mm. is that you know the, all this we can talk about this a lot, right? This privacy aspect and everything like that, and it's very interesting, and people seem to to latch onto that. But in reality, I think Kyle's point is more important to us Catholics, and I'll let him continue this. But it's basically that you know these tech companies have shaped a world that our children are, are going to be growing up in, the, the world that we're we're in that yes. we live in. Um, and they've shaped that mindset. And, and there's that saying that fish don't know they're in water, right? Mm. And so us moderns don't know we're living in modernism, right? And so we mm. think this way and our thoughts are affected by the culture that's shaped by these giant corporations that are all coming out of the same Northern California area, right? Um, and so those ideas, like the, the technology is so imprinted um, by its creator, just like God made us in his image, right? We make technology in our image and it reflects our beliefs and, and our worldview. And, and they can't help but shape the society. Um, and so we, wow. we, we want our decisions to be guided by the light of faith, right? And always oriented towards the true, the good and the beautiful. Mm. And these companies are, you know, they're generally not led by Christian leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like you, your, your art, your, your art, your, your creation takes the form of, of your values and, and whatnot. Yeah. I was just reading um, Mere Christianity on my break, and uh, it said just doing something good doesn't mean that you're good. It's once you stop having to think about doing those good things and you live a good life, that's when those things happen. And it, it goes into every aspect of your life, and it's kind of like what you guys are saying, that even though you know, making an email platform might not be inherently Catholic. Those Catholic views and beliefs will find their way into the decisions that you guys make. Just like you said, like, we're going to, we're not going to sell any of your information. We're just going to have you pay for the transactional service that we provide you guys. Um, and just to go back to what you were saying about um, the social media aspect, I admire that you guys didn't just do what other people were doing because you could do it. You kind of chose, we don't want to feed into that because even though it's not inherently evil, it's not, it's so easy to slip into those addictive, obsessive, uh, prideful things that happen on social media. Mm. 
Um, I think that that's that. I give you a lot of respect for that. I think that's really cool. And being fully transparent too is one thing to create something, and just it just so happens that the people that created it are Catholic, but to create something with the purpose of Catholicism in mm. mind, whereas most companies, they don't want to be transparent in that way. Like you use the word opaque, it's kind of blurring the lines and whatever cultural trend is at the forefront, that company adopts it. And with the hopes of, of getting new users yeah. and whatnot, there's really no truth um, in that. And you could have people say, oh, well, that's, that's made by Catholics. That's, uh, you know, creating a, a bubble or something like that. And I think it's more, it's, being honest, mm, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and and Jack and I were talking about this earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's better to be honest about something than to be super shady about it and totally malleable to uh, the culture. Um, and Catholicism is not not an institution that imposes on anybody. It's it's strictly an invitation. So if some people were to be you know threatened, oh Catholic, uh, you know. Uh, it's just going to be an echo chamber. No, it's 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 always an invitation. This is never imposing values on somebody else. And with with investing in companies and whatnot, you never really know what that company then uses their money for. Mm. You know, it could be used right. uh, in in pornography or supports Planned Parenthood or whatever. You really don't know. But with um, you know a company like yours, you you're aware that you guys have the best Christian values at heart and um, are using, you know, that money in the you, right way. You guys, you guys brought up uh, Twitter and I, that, that was, that was some crazy news. You know, it um, reported reportedly, I mean, Musk, he had Twitter's engineers temporarily, temporarily lock out the locked out of the software code and he had his Tesla engineers review it. Now that's just a report. Um, but he had apparently had his engineers review it in depth from Tesla. And then he tweeted a picture of himself, right? Walking into the Twitter HQ with a, a sink, you know, saying, let that, let that sink in. So it was a 44, $44 billion dad joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, I mean, I. <laughs> You know, obviously, we we commend you guys for uh, for what you're doing um, within the tech sphere. W what do you think about the, his Musk's recent acquisition of Twitter, though? H how do you see this affecting the big tech sphere in relation to the cultural implications that Michael was just talking about? About you know, we we don't we don't even know that we're in water right now. We don't even know that we're living in modernism in in um, uh, agnosticism and atheism. We don't even know it. Um, do, do you see his acquisition of Twitter uh, affecting the big tech world at all or, or not really? I think in some ways it will. Um, I think in, in, a, in a positive way, because I think what is very interesting about what he did was the ideology for a lot of these companies is that basically they're immune to anything wrong happening to them. And yeah. what's very interesting about this is Twitter thought it was immune, but it's it's in a capital market just like anyone else. And of all things, somebody literally just bought it and fired everyone. I mean, that's like something that you would never think would happen mm. in one of these companies. So I actually think it is very good and very sobering mm. um, when you see these layoffs in these companies and it's kind of like a come back to earth and a sobering practical reality, I think that they're actually, it is actually a good thing. I think what has happened here 
he we have to trust him that he believes in greater freedom and stuff that we can kind of leave to the side sure, yeah. but just the action that these companies really believe they are immune to market forces and that they are immune to um society mm. and this is an example where it was totally not the case and they they really not only um they were proven that their strategic vision for the company wasn't appealing to wall street and they they got fired i mean it's like really very bad if you were the executives of that company yeah something really interesting here so it was famous you've all probably heard of whatsapp right so they were acquired um yeah for i think three billion dollars or something like that and um at the time of acquisition i remember hearing a thing that all the all the employees could fit on a bus um and and all all that is to say is these these basic technologies don't require the manpower that they've accumulated and so you have to ask yourself what are a lot of these jobs um that what are they what purpose are they serving right um and there's a lot of uh graft and a lot of um sort of uh, unnecessary work that is done and a lot of jobs that are invented for sort of activist purposes rather than technical purposes um so i think to kailash's point you know, I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I think that'd be interesting um, to see if this leads to a sort of trimming of the fat um, and a, re a recognition that a lot of these, um, a lot of these sort of necessary jobs within companies, um, you know, are, are indeed unnecessary. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it leads to that. I mean, the nice, the, not the nice thing, of course, but the the thing that happened, the nice thing to other tech companies that perhaps were wanting to. Let, let go some people, but we're afraid to for, for uh, PR reasons. You know, in the wake of Twitter doing that, a lot of our cutoffs, um, because I think, you know, Twitter took the heat because Elon Musk took the PR heat. And so a lot of other companies quietly have uh, instituted hiring freezes, uh, like Amazon and, and Facebook, I believe, instituted freezes. And then other companies have laid off portions of their workforce. And so it was an opportunity for them to serve that fat. And I'm wondering if a lot of these departments um, the sort of uh, diversity and inclusion, those sorts of departments um, might might fall by the wayside. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I wonder if it's worth mentioning. There was that that like TikTok video that went viral of that Twitter employee doing like a day in the life of a Twitter employee, and it was like, "Do you do anything?" It was like, "I get into work and I set up a meeting yeah. in this really cool booth that's literally soundproof, and then I go to the cafe, get a coffee, chill for a little bit." And then I go to this lounge where you can play ping pong and it's really? just, and it's her full day of like, and then when you want like an emotional break, you can go to this room and the place is gorgeous, but you're just like, did you just have one meeting at like 930 and then the rest of the day you, you ate, you got coffee, you did meditation, you played um, ping pong. It's like, <laughs> these are really? some of the jobs that they're, they're getting rid of. It's yeah. 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 There's no, there is no question. That will happen at a lot of these very large technology companies that they believe that the grab for talent is so extreme that they won't worry about hiring these very talented people who do nothing. Mm -hmm. And they have created this work environment in these billion dollar plots of real estate with these million dollar setups with free food for all three meals. Yep. You have a gym, you have everything. The whole thing is therapeutic. And then they're surprised that people take advantage of it to the highest degree. Yeah, it, it really is. You gotta... Yeah, I mean, that's something like, you know, 
when you live in San Francisco, that's something very obvious to you, but you kind of don't realize it when you, when you forget like, oh yeah, most people actually have to work. I had uh, one question for each of you guys separately. Um, Kailash, I read in the bio that uh, it said you're most interested in connection between Catholic principles and entrepreneurship in the world of software startups. So can you elaborate on that connection for those of us who are completely unaware of entrepreneurship and software startups? Sure. I think that we, I, I find this with a lot of friends. So I'm trying to be friends with all the tech founders who are Catholic, you know, um, like Exodus 90, Halo. I know all these guys. And I, we really try to see how do we make Catholic people more ambitious for work? Because what, what we find is that a lot of people who are strong in their faith, um, particularly when they're younger in high school and college, they feel a compulsion to work in ministry or in nonprofits, no offense, by the way, but this is not really for everyone, you know, and we really believe that being guided by principles is not ever at the expense of being innovative, working hard and building things that are really meaningful. And we're, I'm really interested in people who are called by God to use their gifts and talents in the marketplace in this way, to do it in these really maximum ways. So I think that being an entrepreneur, um, we there's a um, there's a misconception that being your own boss is something which is luxurious and fun, or that mm -hmm. being your own boss is something that is an easier path that is therapeutic. Frankly, it's looked at as something which is easier. But to be honest, I think the reality is the complete opposite, that it's far more difficult to do something innovative, and it is far more difficult to have really high levels of responsibility for your work, your product, the people you work with, all this other stuff. And leadership is, um, it, re it requires humility, and leadership requires a lot of virtue. And we look at leaders in our church or leaders in society that we want them to have higher levels of virtue. And... I think that business and being a founder, so let's, let's make a distinction. Entrepreneurship is distinct from a career in that you take these risks, you take even higher levels of responsibility, you take even higher levels of effort. And I think we should celebrate that as it connects to Catholic values. And we should celebrate that that kind of choice is actually something that helps you develop virtues even more than um, other jobs, if that's what you're called to. And I really believe that God is calling certain people to that vocation and that leadership position in society. And it's not contrary to our faith. In fact, it is a celebration of our faith. I have grown more. This is the one of the, a different company that I've done. I've actually done a startup in San Francisco that went really well. And I learned more in leadership and I learned more about my spirituality through that than really anything else, I would say. It was the forum for which I was given the opportunity to grow, besides prayer itself, you know? And that work was super important. And I think more people who are Catholic should embrace entrepreneurship for that reason. Hey, everybody. 
we got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones, and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. That's great. Yeah, I, I never even thought of that before, but, you know, vocation is always tied to ministry, like you said, or the church. And sometimes people's strengths lay fall outside of that, yeah. and that's... I think that's really important for some people to hear. So thanks for that. There, there's answer. a reason for that. I mean, it's like Saint Joseph. You know, he was a carpenter. You know, he wasn't he wasn't right. working for a nonprofit. He was he was building <laughs> yeah. stuff for people and probably yeah. probably working with stone too. You right. know, I probably should have paid attention to shop worker. class. Yeah. yeah, which class? You know, wood shop class. Oh, uh, wood shop <laughs> class. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, that well, that was great. Thank you, Kailash and Michael. Um, after your conversion. You started to believe Catholics must become part of the creation of technology and innovation so as to drive a more faith-filled culture. How can an email provider share that faith of those, share the faith of those using it? Um, and we kind of touched that earlier. Um, but I I had said to you earlier the other day that um Ryan and Jack just got married. I'm engaged to be married. Um and I was asking both of them about the sites they use for their wedding registry and invites. And Ryan and his wife use Zola, right? I believe so. And Jack, I believe Jack, so. He doesn't know. <laughs> Ask Corinne. Uh, Jack and his uh, wife use the knot. And when I was doing research on which was better, uh, I was just surprised that it literally said, it wasn't even in small print, that like each of them just sell the information of whoever you invite. So to you know to your wedding through that site so what what is the information that these companies are taking there's so many questions embedded in there uh, I'll, yeah. I'll try to do it in reverse order yeah okay that's um, fine in reverse order like so there's this issue of consent right yeah. you might have consented to use the knot or something like that but yeah. the invitees to your wedding did not consent for their data their addresses whatever they're right. sharing to be shared right right um and and this is this is the case when we're using technology in general so um, there's trackers installed, uh, most Catholic websites, every website, right. Uses Google analytics or some other form of tracking. Yeah. Um, and that, that installs or doesn't install, it, it stores cookies in your browser. I won't get into the technicalities of it, but essentially it kind of follows you around. Right. And that allows other websites to kind of pick up on, on things and, and notice what you're interested in and build a profile around you. And that's how you're shown more and more accurate advertising and stuff like that. But you didn't really consent to that by going to the website, right? right. You might have. Now they've got these pop-ups on the bottom, like the cookie consent forms and things like that. But you know, there, there's all manner of data that these companies can collect. Um, and really, it's the aggregate of all the data mm. that they can draw a picture of you. Um, and, and that's valuable to some people, right? Presumably, I mean, well, not presumably, we know people who are getting married. There's a lot of things that tend to follow that. Right. And a lot of companies that care about the things that tend to follow that. So right. babies tend to follow that. Right. And um, I, I have a, a, a one and a half year old and we've got our second on the way. And you realize how much money like diapers and, and all these sorts of things cost. Yeah. Right. And they want you uh, they want to market to you. So 
that's really valuable information right to them and and so I, i'm not surprised i'm disheartened of course to hear that those websites are doing it but that gets back to uh, presumably you didn't pay to use Zola or the not it's free right but they're, that, that's my point earlier right they're making money by doing it this way cost right. of entry um yeah. yeah that's crazy um so what what were the other questions out of my one question that was multifaceted um so the first is a, a catholic filled culture right um I think that was that sort of how can email do this? So I want to yeah. get away. Like we started with email. We ch- we don't view ourselves as an email provider per se. Okay. We started with email. We we sort of, you know, I gave this talk in San Francisco at my parish. Kailash was there called Engineering the Benedict Option. This whole thing was kind of precipitated by me reading the Benedict Option, the book Benedict Option, um, and, and saying like, okay, how can I apply my skill set to that? Um, and, and so we started looking at the landscape of technology and seeing, okay, what, what are the best problems to, to address? What are the best to pick off first? And so we saw email for a variety of reasons was a good one to start with. And so we started with that. And so to answer the question directly, how can an email provider change the culture? It, it's, it's really just who is offering these services, yeah. right? Um, what services exist in the first place? You know, a lot of the technology that exists today probably should never exist. Right, it would not exist if the people who were building it were guided by the light of faith. Right, they would not be creating a lot of these technologies. So that's one: what technology should exist, and two is who's creating that technology that exists, um, and and what culture, what cultural impact does that company have? And so we can we can talk about like very insignificant or seemingly insignificant things, but let's talk about emoji. Right, so the two companies around the main uh, phone operating systems are Apple with iOS and Google with Android. Right. And so um, the keyboards, when you, when you type emoji, why is there no priest? Huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Why, um, why is there a pride flag, but no, um, but no sacred heart, right? And, and these are just like little things, right? But if, the, if these companies become dominant and, and are able to shape the culture, and provide that water in which we swim and we don't even realize in it. Like when children grow up and they, they're sending emojis, that in a way, words allow us to express things, right? And pictographs, emojis, allow us to express things. And they're limiting and they're, they're sort of uh, guiding our expressiveness through these images. And so why are there emojis of a family that has a man, a man, and a child, yeah, yeah, right? right? Like th- these, are, these are concrete things that are happening and they're subtle. Right, but but less subtle is what happens when you open the app store. What apps are being promoted? Why are there hookup apps uh, at the top of the app store? Right, and so this is what we're saying that if we don't like like it or not, technology is being developed, and this is getting to Kailash's point. Like it or not, technology development happens. We have to use technology, and so either that technology is going to be supplied and created by people who increasingly view Christians as anachronistic and they hate us, or it's going to be provided by Christians, right? And so we have a choice. We can stick our head in the sand and ignore it and just think that, you know, separation of church and state style, like separation of, of like secular world, like worldly needs and things like that, and in our spiritual lives. But in reality, it's much more intertwined than that. And our spiritual life happens in the material world. And the material world, we need our, our material necessities supplied for. And if they're being supplied for by people who are constantly undermining, like talk about undermining, here's direct, right? After Roe v. Wade was, was repealed, a lot of these tech companies, I know 
I have firsthand knowledge of this from some friends and other people I know who work in these companies. They sent out internal memos that they will pay to fly to a state uh, to get an abortion. Right, if, right. You're in a, if you're an employee in a state that like does not allow abortion, they'll fly you to California so that you can get an abortion. Crazy. Right? So do we want the, the, the suppliers of what we, like all, our major technology that's playing an increasing role in our lives, do we want them to be to hold these quote unquote values, right? Yeah. And if we don't create alternatives and make it difficult for a consolidation of technology uh, in the hands of these monopolies, then it's going to increasingly happen, and and you're going to be powerless to to stop any cultural influence that they have. It's mm. heavy duty. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, it's tough. I guess the you know, how do you avoid suppression? With, with that stuff, when you have these major companies that have all the power, seemingly have a monopoly, and you create an alternative, and they don't like it, or they label it as extremist, or they label it as whatever, harmful, um, and they can just get rid of it. How, I mean, how do you well, toe now, that line? Now you're, getting, now you're getting into one of the reasons we chose email, right? So mm. email or email first. So email is inherently decentralized. What that means is that let's say you're using Facebook Messenger. In order to message someone, they all have to be using Facebook Messenger. It's all within the silo of Facebook, yeah. right? But email was built before this consolidation. And so if you... Um, so so Google operates Gmail servers. Yahoo operates Yahoo servers. Like Outlook is operated by Microsoft and they operate their servers. All these servers in, uh, like interoperate, right? And so if you have an Outlook address, you can send a, a, a message to somebody at Gmail who can send a message to someone at Yahoo. And this sort of the fact that it's not significantly dominated by any one player allows for new entrance in, in, into that space, right? And so that's why we said, okay, email is really important to keep decentralized rather than do something new. It's like, this is already decentralized. Let's work to keep it decentralized. Huh. Now, there are things that they can do, right? So we, early on, we had this problem with Google where um, every other email provider in our experience treats you as innocent until proven guilty with respect to spam. Google's the opposite. So we were a new email provider and all our emails were going to spam originally. Wow, wow. Um, and that's because Google treated us as spammers until we proved that we were innocent. Mm. Now we have, and so our emails don't go to spam anymore. Good, to wow. But <laughs> that's the sort of thing, if they have a monopoly, right, or if they have a large enough market share, that can really impact a business that's a fledgling business trying to start out. And so we think it's very important to, to not allow the sort of consolidation and monopolistic practices to happen in a space that it could, right? It could happen, but it hasn't yet. So are, are you guys, um, the forum that you're developing, which is a, a, another type of social media and, and some of the other platforms, are, are you trying to build them in a, in a decentralized way? Or are those platforms kind of centralized uh, specifically, and, and kind of to the point that Ryan brought up, you're being truthful about what that platform is for. You're paying for it as a parish, as an individual, as an apostolate, whatever. You know, um, uh, how does the centralization, decentralization come into play with, with your newer platforms? Yeah, the forum, the hope is to make it decentralized. So we want it to be as decentralized to down to the level of your parish, right? So your individual parish community will have its own place that it can congregate online, which if you think about it, doesn't exist right now, right? Or even if you have something which is in your local area, which shares our values, um, that can also be something that's decentralized. Maybe it's not in the individual parish. For us, it's actually most interesting to create 
the most decentralized levels of forums that we can. Because we want, what I observe in practice is, and you might as well, there's these very large text message change chains that have like all these people from your parish and they're all doing these messages or you have like Flocknote. Basically, the level above that is a greater level of interaction among people of this community specifically. That's really what we're trying to accomplish online through the forums. Mm. Uh, can, can you can you um, articulate that greater level of communication, like how that differs from a, a flock note? Yeah, so it's like if you receive a flock note message, if you want to reply, it's just only to the person who sent it. It's always just one-to-one. Whereas there are things about your parish life and your life as a Catholic person where you do want to communicate with a community, right? Facebook is the online globalist community that's like literally a billion users, mm. 99.99999% of which don't really matter to you in a practical way. Mm. So this is the complete inversion, which is like, it's a community, it's the tools that you want online, but it's only the people that you know. Oh. It's only the people, for example, in your parish. It's like a safety thing. It's like, especially for families and yeah, stuff, Yeah, it's right? kind of like Facebook, but your only reach is who you choose it to be. To give a concrete example, like my, my parish is is using a, a form that, that we put together for them. And, um, you know, the pastor's there and everything and kind of guiding the discussion in some ways. But in reality, it's, it's, it's kind of laity driven. And it's, I live in a rural area. Um, and, and so a lot of people are talking about how to raise chickens or how to, um, do gardening, like what types of foods are, are, are good to, to harvest at this time of year and things like that. Right. Like a lot of local things and the type of discussions that our pastor kind of came to me. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of this, this forum thing. And he said, you know, we, we don't want the parish community to just be in the parking lot on Sundays. Like we need to recognize that there's a lot of other interactions and, and to, to live in a truly sort of integrated Catholic life, mm. your, your faith informs everything. And, and the people with whom you spend time, it's not just worshiping. I mean, that's great, right? Sure. Um, like, you know, going to mass together and everything like that. But there's so many other interesting things that can happen, right? There's homeschooling co-ops. There's um, the sharing of resources. There's the, I mean, I mean society itself, right? functions with the the separation of like what differentiates nomadic tribes and stuff like that from like uh, civilization is largely um that like there's a division of labor right some people do some things and some people do others and kind of bringing that like viewing the parish in a sense you know i don't mean to overstate this right but viewing the parish in a sense as the sort of somewhat self-contained community um or at least some of the concerns of that community are are um, intrinsic to that parish yeah. and giving a, a forum uh, in the other sense, not the technical sense, for them to to kind of commiserate online and, and coordinate things um, is just one of you know one of the things that my pastor wanted, and, yeah. and that's kind of what, what kicked this off. And then we realized that this this actually has has a use case for for other sort of communities. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's community building, and uh, I mean that that's that's why Jesus came to Earth. I mean, I, th- I feel like we say this every candid. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Jesus wanted, you know, uh, communion with us. He wanted God wanted communion with humanity, and uh, that's that's. I mean, it's it's fantastic that what you're doing is helping to foster and strengthen those those communities, those Catholic, you know, communities, Catholic families, uh, parishes. Hey, we love that you listen to our Reason for Hope, and we want to make it better for you. You can help us do that by filling out our survey. 
Just click on the URL in the show notes so we can help you dive even deeper into your faith. My, my final question is, uh, I, I wanted to hear about your conversion. So I know, um, Kailash, you were raised a Hindu, I believe, and Michael, I, I'm not sure if you were cradle Catholic or, or were just always, you were an atheist at one point. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, so I... Um, we're suckers can, for some good conversion yeah, we stories. Are, man. <laughs> <laughs> can uh, can you guys just uh, talk a little bit about that and um, the the grace that uh, you know grace Fulton Sheen says grace has its D day. What was what was Grace's D day for you? You know, mm. I, I never heard that Fulton Sheen quote, but I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the D day was that I ended up walking into a Catholic church after my conversion. Um, and not realizing what day it was. And uh, afterwards, I remember kind of like almost shaking. And, and I talked to the pastor afterwards, and I just said, I want that. Um, and, uh, and it turns out that it was Good Friday. Um, and I didn't even know it was Good Friday. But backing up a little bit, you know, I was, I was an atheist. I was baptized Protestant. So my mom was Protestant. She's now converted to Catholicism, actually, after my conversion. Wow. Um, but, and, and my dad was Catholic, but non-practicing. Um, and so, um, I grew up, I was baptized Protestant, but really had no, no sort of faith formation or, or anything. We didn't we'd go to church on Sunday or anything like that. I played hockey on Sundays. Right. So like there was, there was nothing really there. And then, um, I, I declared myself an atheist at, at a pretty young age because that's what all the smart people thought to be doing. I thought all the smart people were doing right. Yeah. So this is the time of like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and all that. So <laughs> any sort of precocious, um, you know, striving, arrogant, prideful youth, <laughs> young man would, would associate with Richard Dawkins and, and Sam Harris. And that's exactly what I did. Mm. Um, and so, you know, kind of thought I was smarter than everybody. And, um, and so much so that I ended up going to um, a Catholic high school, but I went there because they had a really good sports program. And I, I was that, you know, that's, that's the explicit reason I went. I was not faithful Christian, even not, you know, let alone Catholic. And I would literally go to theology class and bring Darwin's Origin of Species just to be cheeky um, instead of the Bible. And, uh, and then I went to college, joined the Atheists, Agnostics, and Rationalists Club. Wow. Um, I had a Darwin Fish bumper sticker on my car. <laughs> Um, and so I was, I was a jerk, you know, I was prideful, arrogant, uh, complete jerk. You drive um, a Volvo? No, okay. <laughs> Volvo. I don't know why. No, I feel like Volvo. Volvo that would be appropriate. Be. Right? But yeah, you know, it was pretty, 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 pretty cringe actually looking back, but, um, I ended up working in technology. You know, I was always into tech. I studied computer science in college and everything like that. Um, and one of the things you want to do uh, growing up in tech, you, you, you want to be Steve Jobs, right? You want to be the next Steve Jobs, right? Sure. So um, San Francisco kind of beckons like a mecca uh, to a, a tech, young tech man. And so I ended up working at, a, at one of the rocket ship companies uh, that was exploding in, in San Francisco. And I got a job there as an, a software engineer. Um, and suddenly one thing led to another. And I ended up starting my own company, raising uh, almost a million dollars in venture capital, wow. um, hiring a team, and and doing the whole like Silicon Valley thing, right? And so I'm this successful. I'm 25 years old. I'm a, a founder. I've got like a million dollars. Hiring a team, um, a million dollars to spend on this company, right? Uh, hiring a team, and people are telling me how great I am, and suddenly I'm like on top of the world or something, right? And uh, 
And at that point, my uh, all my vices really came out, probably underlied by pride, right? The queen of all sins. Sure. And um, and just I completely self-destructed. Um, and um, and 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 throughout all this, like starting in high school, actually at that Catholic high school, I got really into Buddhism so much so that I taught myself Japanese and I, I studied abroad in Japan for a year wow. um, because of Buddhism. Wow. And so I like was really into that and I got really into meditation and everything. So anyways, I'm in San Francisco. I have this massive failure, self-imposed destructive behaviors, right? Lead to the collapse of this thing that should have been great. And, uh, and so I started leaning on this meditation um, and I'm, I'm meditating every day. And uh, I, I also just so happened to have several books by Dr. Edward Fazer on my shelf that I had bought. Uh, who's a Thomist philosopher. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And uh, that I'd heard of, and I bought them and never read them. One is called Five Proofs for the Existence of God. Sure. Um, and the other one is called The Last Superstition, uh, A Refutation of the New Atheism. And I had these books and I never read them. And so I'm unemployed after this massive failure, right? I'm meditating every day. I get this new book on um, doing meditation with a mantra in it. And so I think this mantra is going to be the silver bullet. And I start repeating this mantra over and over again. And I'll never forget the mantra is, Heavenly Father, I will reason, I will will, and I will act, but guide down my reason, will, and activity to the right thing that I should do. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, wait, this sounds Christian. And I would like look at anything but Christianity. But I closed the book. I saw the cover. It was a yogi. I was like, all right, I'm safe. So I'll, I'll do this. So I literally like repeat this over and over again um, until I start realizing that, like, wait a sec, I, I'm not meditating. Like, I'm talking to somebody and then I became really, really curious. Who am I, with whom am I speaking? Like, who am I talking to? Um, and I have these Thomist books on my shelf and I don't know what prompted me to look at these Thomist books. So I, I pick up this book, five proofs for the existence of God. And, and I start getting to, uh, essentially Aristotle's first mover argument articulated by Aquinas. Sure, yeah. And I'm like, wait a sec, why didn't nobody tell me this? Right. And, and I, I, was, like, I was like, wait, this, this makes a lot of sense. And, uh, I was like, can't be. So I just like, I'm unemployed. I'm sitting in my room in San Francisco, meditating slash praying at this point and, uh, and reading these Thomist books and I just become obsessed. And so I start like voraciously consuming Catholic media at this point, uh, Protestant at the time too. Um, uh, there were some Protestant pastors that I was listening to, but it didn't really resonate. And at some point I like discovered the rosary and, and started experimenting with the rosary and, and then I realized like, okay, I am not meditating anymore. I'm praying. And I started believing. I remember talking to my now wife I was living with. She was my girlfriend then. Um, and uh, saying, hey, I, I think I believe in God. She's like, all right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, one thing leads to another. And I was like, all right, well, I got to like act on this. I got to go to church. So I, I go on Google Maps. I look up Catholic church and I'm a, I'm a sucker for aesthetics. And so there was a beautiful um, uh, Gothic, English Gothic church in San Francisco called St. Dominic's. And so I walk in and that, that was Good Friday. And uh, I wow. meet Father Michael and he tells me to start RCIA. He tells me to email him. He's a Dominican and he's in his, his uh, friar outfit. And, and I was, I, my first thought was like, wait, like they have, they have email addresses. And so <laughs> I email him and he tells me to start RCIA. And that's where I meet, meet Kalash. Wow. Oh my gosh, wow. that's incredible. That's, that's a crazy story. That's great. You definitely go into whatever you're into. You get very involved. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Kailash, how about you? 
You know what? It's funny to hear that rendition of the story because it shows how similar it was for me. It was basically the same story, but my own my own journey of that. Um, and it's similar in the way that I was also in a state of a lot of pain and a lot of challenge in my personal life. And kind of in an unex- inexplicable way, I, I found Christianity and turned to it. And I searched on Google and found St. Dominic's Catholic Church and I went there. I mean, it's oh the same thing. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, but I grew up as... Uh, in a Hindu family, like you mentioned, and faith was very important to me. This is kind of the opposite perspective of of Michael. Faith was extremely important growing up for me. And we would go to the Hindu temple every month, at least. I mean, very routinely. And it was a huge part of my identity and the, and the formation of how I thought. And then I was the president of the Hindu Students Association in my college. And I knew that faith and the scripture really well. And I I had a great affinity for it. But as I also moved to San Francisco and began a career in the technology space as a software engineer as well, same thing. I started to have a lot of success and I started to have a lot of material success and financial success. And it diluted any ability I had to adhere to any kind of morality and personal values. So I lived a crazy life of partying and drinking excessively and doing drugs and having a lot of girlfriends and everything you shouldn't do. But I felt like that was what money enabled me to do. And that I had, I became an atheist as well. I basically had no relationship with God. I did not believe God existed. I, same thing, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, all these speakers (laughs) made an impression on me that science had every answer, whether or not I understood it, science had the answer. (laughs) And so I kind of, I mean, I went out of control and I had, um, I made a lot of mistakes and I was just out of control basically. And I was living with someone at the time and we kept getting in fights and it turns out you can't have a relationship based on doing drugs. And it was really a very challenging kind of set of months and the impetus that got me to start thinking differently was actually the 2016 presidential election. And living in San Francisco, it was thought impossible that President Trump would win. Like it actually was a joke that he was running for president, forget that he would win. And waking up the next day was a huge shock because the worldview that I had and the worldview that everyone had around me was completely destroyed in one day. And A lot of people got up the next day and we saw it on the news. They were shouting, they were angry, they lost control. And I understood that actually in a different way. I understood that, yeah, everything I thought was wrong. How do I even cope with that? And it just placed on me this question, what else is true that I'm missing? And I kept asking these questions about what motivated people to vote for President Trump and then what motivated people to call themselves conservative And then what motivated people to adhere to Judeo-Christian values? And then it would become, what is Christianity? And then it would say, who is Jesus Christ? And I was so skeptical, I did not believe a man named Jesus Christ existed, right? Mm -hmm. I was an atheist who thought Jesus was the same as Krishna, was the same as Zeus, was the same as all these other mythological figures. And once I became convinced through my own research of the fact that Jesus Christ existed, The next question was, what is the Catholic Church? And eventually the question was, how can I be Catholic? And the way that this truth continued to inform me and change me 
was that I believed in it as a factual reality. And then I could let go of all of these habits, which were destroying my life. And the D-Day for me was I lived with um, this person and I told her, hey, I'm going to uh, the Catholic Church and I'm doing RCIA. And I said, you should do RCIA. And unlike Michael's now wife, she said, you're crazy. And (laughs) she didn't want anything to do with it. And so she left and she took all the furniture and they, she moved out and I was sleeping literally on the ground. Oh gosh. And I remember wow. getting up the next day and I said, this is the worst day of my life. Hmm. I basically lost everything that I had. And I had really no friends because everyone I knew was kind of living in a different direction that I couldn't participate in anymore. But my D-Day was basically, this is the worst day of my life, but I'm going to choose God. And my hope was from that day forward. And I think it's been true to just choose Christianity more and more fully each day. And the same thing. I was convinced about the Catholic Church from all this research and reading that I did. And I Google searched Catholic Church in San Francisco and it was St. Dominic's. And then I joined RCIA. Wow. Oh that's gosh. that's a crazy story. I, I, I'm curious. I mean, how did your parents react? Yeah, very poorly. They basically have not accepted that. Mm. And... um. I don't think they ever will. I hope they will, of course, see the truth. But the Hindu ideology is its very interesting. It's a pure relativism, which we don't really appreciate coming from Western tradition. You know, we see relativism in this in our society, but we can see it as something which is distinct. We see that it is different, whereas Hinduism is actually pure relativism, which is why it is completely polytheistic and why it is completely... With, it's, it is devoid of any perspective. Hmm. So they actually look at that, and in a worldly sense, you can say they are more open-minded than Christianity. It is true, yeah. because they can accommodate any perspective. But huh. the challenge is that we believe in a true good and evil, which is basically antithetical to what they believe. So my parents believe that I have chosen a path which is more limited. I have chosen something which is actually less reasonable. I have chosen something which is restrictive that asks people to do a tithe and take money from them. Mm -hmm. And that I have actually given up freedom. And that's always wrong, basically. Mm -hmm. I've given up intellectual freedom to go this way. And so they really cannot come to terms with it because what they know they believe is actually intellectually superior than this. It's uh, it's the paradox of Christianity. It's the paradox of an immo- immovable God becoming movable incarnate in the flesh, right? Mm. It, it was the scandal of the incarnation for the Jews as well, you know? So that's, uh, yeah, again, that's heavy duty. Um, thank you guys for your uh, your candidness on candid, um, yeah. your, your witness, uh, your transparency. I, I feel like we're just hanging out, man. Yeah. This is yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are like, it's been two hours. <laughs> and for our next topic, Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> explain no, no. what it is. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm an idiot. <laughs> for those of us who don't understand it at all, spend um, the next five hours. Yeah, explaining I'm like, it to by us. the way, now that we have you, how do I attach a document to an email? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Asking for a friend. Yeah. Um, oh, no, man. that's great. Yeah, really appreciate your guys' time and, and the work you're doing. It's it's in, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. So well, thank please. you for having us. Yeah. Of course. Uh, be assured of our prayers for Fide. 
Um, is, is there anything else that before before we go that you want to share about Fide and what you're doing, or just uh, where people and parishes can uh, go to to find to find you guys that we can put in our um, show notes as well? Yeah, just go to uh, www. You don't actually need to put the three W's, but people are used to it. So uh, just uh, fide.email. The, the, the reason I say that is because it's not .com, it's .email. So if I don't say www, people hear like fide.email, and they're like, how do I do that? So yeah, it's, oh. it's just fide.email, not .com. Um, and, or you can just search it and, and don't use Google, use something else. But uh, search fide email. And that's F-I-D-E-I. And Fide, of course, is Latin for faith. Mm. So, yeah, And, man. you know, if you're a parish or you're a nonprofit and you're concerned about the setup, we have people signing up all the time. And it's a self-service. They do it on their own. But we're here to help you. So people are able to do it even if they have no technical savvy at all. And we can support you. So it's very, very easy to do. People are switching now. Cool. Yeah, and I, I do a lot of calls with parishes too, and I'll, I'll we'll do video sharing and, and like kind of set them up and tell them how to do attachments and stuff like that. Hey. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for you, we have your guys' email now, so it's gonna be like, hey, <laughs> can you show me how? To... <laughs> like it's one of them. Yeah, 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 guys. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks, guys. God bless you. Thanks for being a part of this. Um, we'll uh, we'll we'll be in touch and uh, peace. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Bless. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of A Reason for Hope Candid. Next week's podcast episode features Mario Costabile's interview with Patrick Madrid. Patrick is a renowned apologist and radio host on Relevant Radio. They'll be discussing how we can become stronger in our defense of Catholicism. If you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast so you're always in the loop for new releases. And give us a rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, make sure to follow Array of Hope on social media and check out our music division, AOH Music. You can find all this information in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be with you next week for our interview with Patrick Madrid titled Defending the Faith. Until next time, may peace be with you.